Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with Seamus Murphy about his beautiful documentary, The Peculiar Sensation of Being Pat Inglesby. So thank you so much for chatting with us. Sure. First up, um, I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about your career to date. Like what brought you to this point? To this point? Um, well, I mean, it's... it's, it's I, you know, I started as a photographer and, um, you know, I did that for many years and I loved doing it. And then I, but I always had an inkling to be involved in cinema. I did actually start out in the film business years ago. Didn't quite like it. I didn't like working in big, big crews. And um, I think also when I started out, it was it was commercial and it was commercials. And had I done documentary in the, at the early days, I probably would still be doing that. But anyway, I got into photography, still photography, which better suited my temperament and also I was able to travel and I could be involved in political stuff internationally. So that, that interested me. Um, but in 2010, I got a, I got a call from PJ Harvey. She'd seen my book on Afghanistan and was interested in meeting and possibly me taking pictures of her because she was researching a new album called Letting and Shake. So we did that. We got on very well. And then she offered would I like to make some films, some music films? And I, yeah, that sounded like a very good idea. And that's sort of how this this last 10 years has has come about. Um, you know, as I say, I always had the inkling to do it, but I was always busy with the photography. And I thought, well, I mean, for me to do that, it's going to have to be a whole kind of pivot into something else. And, you know, um, but I was handed in, in a way a very interesting project and a, and a big challenge, you know, and also... The album letting and shake she was she gave it to me as a demo and so i i you know i had this kind of tabula rasa of you know what to do with this and i was given complete freedom and i came up with this idea that i'd travel around england and i would i would shoot stuff that sort of referred to the history and the empire and war and all kinds of other stuff so that was kind of a big challenge and um yeah that was the beginning of it yeah, because they're very different. Um, it's all storytelling, but it's yeah. a very different um medium. I mean, you do have your visual element. You could tell it's such a rich and gorgeous film. So, Thank can you, you tell me a, a little bit about how how do you approach starting to film a documentary, even like this or or like your your past ones? Do you d- decide on themes? Do you let the subject matter lead the whole storytelling? What's your process? Certainly, don't. I mean. Y- I, I was going to say I certainly don't start with themes, but of course themes are are things that we deal with all the time, you know, and and even subconsciously. So with Pat, you know, it was it was always about the poetry for me. It was always about the sort of unsung, incredible writer um, who had so much, who has so much to say. I mean, he's still writing, and you know, and his his character, and 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 to take him seriously. That was the other thing because for years he was on children's television and. Although he was fantastic at that, and people have great memories of that, you know, t- people tend to also think of him in that in that realm, and then sort of probably dismiss a little bit the fact that he could be a serious writer. I think he's a very serious writer, and uh, so so that was that was a huge motivation. So obviously, then the written word, you know, the spoken word, the spoken word actually was going to be very key to this. Um, so I started off with that idea. Also, before I started this film, I'd made a short film which I used some of his poetry in. And I saw how I can actually mix the sort of stuff that I do, um, observational photography, observational filmmaking, on the streets of Dublin, around Ireland, with work that he's done. 
Um, so I knew that that was going to be the way I was going to um, approach his work. The initial thing was that he didn't want to be interviewed. He didn't want to be in the film. He didn't want to be interviewed. But he was happy to make me to make a film about him. And this is pure Pat. And, and you know, so I went along with that. And um, what happened was I started recording his voice because I wanted the, him to be the person reciting the poems because he wrote them. He knows them so well. And he's a great bloody performer. So I thought, OK, I'll set up a, a very comfortable studio in, in his home. I knew I was going to have to be recording a lot of poems because I, I would make decisions on what to use initially by looking at them in the book, but then, you know, how they sound, how that particular delivery works might be the reason you choose that poem. So I, I knew I was going to be very broad with my with my uh, reach of poems. So I set up a thing at home uh, recording. And uh, but as you know, as I was directing him towards this poem or that poem, he'd find 10 other poems that he thought were great. And I, I didn't disagree. But then there was also a 100 stories in between all that. So it's sort of you know, it sort of provided me with, well, this is this is what the film is going to be. It's going to be Pat talking about his life um, with his poems, you know, punctuating uh, some of his anecdotes and then leading the narrative. Um, that was a kind of a very initial idea. I had many, many, many wild ideas because, you know, you're dealing with a film of Pat Inglesby. You've got to be pretty imaginative. And I was always worried that I wouldn't wouldn't, you know, get up to his standard of imagination and craziness. But I had all kinds of uh, weird and wonderful, you know, I, he was going to die and he, we were, I was going to have him reading out his obituary. And I said that to him on the phone. I thought, you know, maybe I should pa push, you know, pass this by him because it may be very insulting. He said, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. He said, but, you know, I don't want to be taken away in a hearse. I, I want to be taken away in a Mr. Whippy van. So there's always this stuff going on. Anyway, in the end, I didn't didn't do any of that stuff because what he was saying was so interesting. So I really wanted to focus on him, him and Dublin. You know, and he is he is definitely part of the scenery. Like you know, I would have he would have been around the whole time I was growing up. You'd be so familiar with his stories, and then you know, as you got older, his books of poetry, and then when you're hanging out in town, like he was just a, a fixture. So he's just like it is wonderful to see him caught. So um, so well, I caught I caught him at the very end as well. I mean, I you know the last year or so you know that that was and i didn't know he was going to and he probably didn't know he was going to stop doing it um so so that was great and uh, you're right i mean you know he was he was always around but then of course it's like all those sort of people or even buildings you know like once they're gone it's like, oh my god hang on a minute and then you appreciate you know god i wish i'd you know i wish i'd spoken to him i wish i'd i'd paid more attention or or just you know it's a nice thing to know that this person's there and then suddenly he's not there so that was kind of a, a part of the ethos of the film as well disappearing things disappearing dublin um you know things disappear for a reason but but um but i thought you know to kind of try and catch him before before he disappeared from the streets he's still very much alive and, and kicking and writing but definitely you get a sense of i think in some ways it's you really get a sense of him him sustaining himself as a writer uh, how difficult it is, <laughs> how difficult it is. Yeah. To be I mean, and also like... a man with polio, you know, he had polio as a child, uh, paralyzed down one side, right arm doesn't, doesn't work at all. And and there he was taking a bus into town every day from, from Clontarf um, with, you know, a trolley and a beer crate to sit on and his bloody books, you know, and as he says, like some days he didn't sell any books, he had to bring them all the books back. You know, he didn't even have a sort of set up somewhere that he could leave the books and leave it. He brought that in every day he came in and he found a printer that was very cheap and very good and very friendly. 
So I think as a business, it was quite good. You know, he'd, he'd print them for this much money and then he'd sell them. And, and there was a profit. And, um, you know, he's quite canny when it comes to business. So, so you know, it was, it was you know, he was a working artist. He really was a working artist. And, and of course, the other great thing was that he found that by being on the street, he was close to his material. And he, he, I don't think he even knew when he took to the street to begin with. That, that that you know what he was seeing on the street would become his 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 his, his material, and um, or maybe he did. Maybe, maybe he maybe he sensed that. Um, but there it was, and he was able to talk to people, which he loves doing. Um, sit down, write, observe things. Um, you know the patterns of life during the day in Dublin. He he captures it all. I mean, there's an incredible Dickensian sort of document documenting of the streets of Dublin for twenty five years you know, in his poems. There was one about the characters on that street, and I was like, I've heard that character. I worked in Temple Bar, and you could hear that show, yeah, I, that exact yeah. conversation. Oh, I'm yeah, Darren sure or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, we, we've all got our we've all got our experiences of <laughs> Dublin banter and patter. Yeah, it's wonderful. And um, He captures yeah. it so well, and then you capture him so well. It's a nice little, uh, <laughs> like the artist watching the artist. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, no, that's great. So a little bit about how you get into that world. How do you build rapport? So you were saying that you would been working him with him on a project before. Do you kind of like keep recording so that people forget that you're there? Like he seems like quite in some ways an open person anyway, because he's lived in, in, a, in a sort of spotlight for so long. But how do you kind of like really get to the crux of him? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm previously a journalist, you know, I mean, a photojournalist. And so it's it's how you react with people. It's how you deal with people, and and you know, you, of course, you you know treat people with respect. I'm very curious. That's why I do what I do. Um, and I don't think you can fake that. And I think he's got a he's got an absolute. You know, my God, he's got a meter. He can he can he can pick out somebody who's a, who's a phony. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I just think he we we got on very well. And and uh, you know, like the first time I met him was in 2013. Actually, this is when I was making this short film, and I. I had this idea to use him in some way, but people had said to me like, you know, be careful, don't don't do this, don't do that. He's a bit prickly, and as it turns out, you know, he was he was very open and very easy. And you know, within five minutes of meeting, we were at the Palace Bar, drinking coffee, and I was recording some poems for this film, for this short film. Um, and that's how quick the whole thing happened, and that's how it, it all opened. And yet, for years, people have been trying to make a film about him, and 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 he he refused because you know, in the film, we hear about his abhorrence of fame and celebrity and um, inauthenticity is really, you know, an absolute taboo for Pat. Um, and, you know, this is, I think, tied in with his mental health and, and the issues he's had over the years. And, you know, being an RTE, being this sort of character who people recognise, on the one hand, he loved the attention, I'm sure, and loved the recognition and loved being able, people being able to openly come up to him and talk to him. That's very nice. But then the other side of him, you know, it was too much and, um and people treated him differently. And uh, the whole thing of fame and celebrity, just, just he hates it. Um, so I think, and it's because I think it's the inauthenticity of it, fundamentally. And, um, you know, he did this gestalt therapy to try and work out what, what you know, what, what, what was troubling him. And I think at the end of that, he discovered that, you know, you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest because it was killing him. And um, so I guess I was honest and, you know, he's, he's an honest guy and, and I didn't have any scheme or anything. It was just, it, it sort of developed, it, it evolved. I mean, uh, Tom Burke uh, produced the film. He's a filmmaker himself, obviously. And we got together because Pat 
suggested I talk to Tom because he knew Tom and knew Tom's father. I think he went to school with Tom's father. So this was a nice um, little team, you know, that that it was just the, the two of us. And then in, in the end, uh, I went back to my 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 uh, the editor that I only work with, a guy in Berlin. So it was a small little unit and um, it was great. You know, we took our time over it. Uh, COVID happened in the middle of it, you know, um, but we got there in the end. And speaking of the end, how long was that? Like, how long were the recordings from the initial meeting? Did you, were you out every week with him? Did you just follow him when something would happen? I wasn't really following him. I, I you know, I live in London, so I would come to Dublin when I could and I would film. And actually, most of the filming I did was on the streets without him because, you know, there's there's a huge amount of the film, which is Dublin. Dublin as a character, Dublin as the subject for Pat's work. So I was very conscious that I wanted to try and capture that. I also, in that 2013 film, I actually had shot a lot of footage back then. So I've used some of that in the film. Um, he didn't want to be interviewed, but then at a certain point, I think it was actually, it was yeah, typical of Pat. It was the day, honestly, it was the day that was announced in Dublin. You know, We were, we were at his home in Clontarf or the, the day after that uh, lockdown was happening. And so, you know, having having agreed to be interviewed, and we did this fantastic interview with him, uh, one of, I think, three in the end, um, we thought, great, this is great, we'll keep going. Give it a few few days rest, I'll go and do stuff on the street, and then we'll do another one with Pat. Couldn't do that. So we had to wait. Um, and then we had, you know, but, but then what happened, yeah, so what happened was initially he didn't want to be interviewed, and then I think he saw how much work we were putting into it, he trusted us. And he was enjoying, he was enjoying the process. Because, you know, even if he hates fame, he loves the business, he loves the industry. You know, he loved it when at one stage Tom was using the, the Steadicam and he loved that, a big camera, you know, there's a bit of, you know, there's a bit of a crew here, not just me with my one camera. You know? um, so he loved all that. So um, it just evolved, you know, and 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 as I say, I had these wacky ideas um, that uh, I ended up not using in the film or not even trying to shoot. Because in a way there was a there was a sort of there was such a naturalism to to the way he delivered his poetry and then also the how how seamless it is between his poetry and the spoken word you know when he tells a story it's like he's written it down word for word perfectly the timing is right you know the commas are in the right right place and in fact some people say I love that poem about when he talks about his father bringing him down the stairs because you know, he had polio on his shoulders and making sure his head didn't bang the you know whatever. And it's not a poem. It's it's it, it's it's a story. He did actually write a poem about it. But um, so I love that seamlessness of the way he speaks and his poetry. And that's the great thing too about his poetry. It's almost like an anti-poetry. You know, it's, it's sort of um, it's so natural. It's like speech. However, I've seen him working and I've seen him fashioning his work. And he's a, he's a craftsman. You know, those throwaway lines that you read two lines or three lines, you think you know this is just you know something he's overheard. He's worked on it. He's worked on it. So um, so all that was very important, you know. But in the end, it was his voice and it was his observations. And then whatever I was doing with, with the, you know, visually observing the streets of Dublin. And it's wonderful to have someone who has been such a big part of the Irish scene for so long, to have their career documented in a way that really celebrates them, gets to the crux, touches on all the good and bad, but like like that as well like it's you you get the lineage of the development of it, the struggles as well about uh, he faced in his career which was very interesting and I think like now 
even the way one of the, the most heartbreaking things was how he's treated on the streets, the way Dublin has been shifting and how difficult he was finding it to sell his work. And I think it's a very negative testament to the that kind of neoliberal direction that we're definitely facing. And so it's really kind of touching on a lot of things that I think are, are very close to a lot of people's hearts and minds right now, especially as well, I think mental health with regards yes. to um, like there's, I think Mind and Creative Minds, is, it's it's definitely a discussion that's yes. happening now. They're an organization that are there specifically for artists because I think artists, <laughs> a lot of artists, yeah process their minds were slightly on the, on the edge as it is yeah, <laughs> yeah and then you throw, in all the, you throw in all the insecurities of finance and you know relationships and all the things that you know are difficult and more difficult because you're an artist and because you're living that life and yeah it's very difficult but i i absolutely agree i mean the, the you know the thing about the women selling from the prams and you know that was a really important part of his story and he loved them you know he felt he never felt more at home than when one of them had to go off and do something and he'd take over and he loved it. He loved being there with the women selling with, from the prams. And he was disgusted at how Dublin Council, I think it was, you know, closed him down to build the ILAC Centre and these, you know, gentrification of inner, you know, in central Dublin. Um, and uh, what was the other thing you were saying? That, that um, yeah, and I think he's also very um, sceptical of the whole Joyce industry and, uh, you know, the way that we, we revere these people who are now dead um, you know, at the, at the time when they were alive, we didn't, you know, they were in exile, they were banned, you know, people didn't read their books. And now it's a great tourist thing. And he's very, very conscious of that, very aware of that. Um, so that's it. But the other thing I, I think love you when you're dead, that kind of. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, he has that. He has that on one of the signs, right? <laughs> one of the signs he puts up is like, you know, buy a book before before I'm famous and dead, you know, or, or something like that. You know, he's, he's always going on about that. Um, but he's, um, I think the other thing that's interesting about Pat is his age, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm young, a little bit younger than him. And, you know, that generation that went through the sixties, you know, and, and boy, he's born in the forties, went through the sixties, you know, real groundbreaking times and, um, you know, dealing with the church, dealing with, um, educational establishments. And Ireland was a third world country. Like we were, a com- it was a completely different space to live in. Yeah. And also ruled by priests you know and ruled by the clergy and and uh you know and and you know we know what they we know now what they were getting up to and you know, we all had our suspicions some people actually knew and so you know i think his generation is very interesting to, to start looking at his generation because you know they've been around for much longer and it's interesting that you know there's documentaries now there's a film documentary there's a Sinead O'Connor documentary you know we are investigating our past um the traumas of some of some of the you know the, the past and i think it's really interesting it's really really interesting that you know i suppose it's coming of age and and um um yeah i mean i think as irish people we rte kind of back in those days i think it's far better now they didn't really do any of that sort of investigation and i think now films are doing it and um, it's about time you know we start looking at ourselves criticizing ourselves you know and you wonder as well if he had been slightly later in in his career when, you know, because he was quite contrarian and not afraid necessarily to speak out at a time when, you know, people were playing the game and maybe marketing themselves as a brand a little bit better and fitting into what is 
lauded as a literary darling, you know, and, and getting yeah. in with the right people. Like if he'd played that politics more, but, you know, a little bit later in his writing, like would he already be the person who has like all the awards and... The thing is, he doesn't want. He doesn't. He doesn't want that. I mean, that's the other thing that you know. On the one hand, you know, it's true that he's he's not. He didn't receive the recognition he should. But he's he's. I wouldn't say he's to blame, but he's one of the reasons because he's the one who didn't go out there. And even without you know going out there and, and courting that, uh, he'd run a mile from it. So whenever he gets the chance, he'll tell you that you know I don't want to hear about your awards. You know, it doesn't interest me. And um, <clears throat> and all that stuff. He's got. He's got many many. Um, things that are, so he's you know he's just an authentic he's a he's a, an absolute maverick um um character and and um you know it's hard to bottle him yeah. and look we're talking we're talking about his work but actually we should be talking about yours so um just tell me a little bit about the editing process so you said you had all these different ideas and maybe potential different structures and, and visual ideas uh did things change when you edit did you edit in one block did you edit as you were cutting as you were filming how did how did it kind of come together and shift it came together in one block actually I mean there were a couple of um, starts at editing earlier on thinking that we do it as we go along and Tom actually was began to start edit the film and then he got really busy with it with one of his own projects and um that's when I when I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to Sebastian because actually he had done all the films I did with PG Harvey, but also he'd done that initial short film I did in 2013, and uh, he knew the material and uh, he loved Pat and and you know so it was a great 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 thing. But the, the, there was also the, the COVID thing was a problem getting to Berlin, but then when things got lifted, I was able to go to Berlin. So I brought everything. Everything was shot and it was in one long um session i mean it was broken up a bit but um so it was in one go and i think by the time the editing started it was obvious you know the direction that the film the structure would be um i wasn't going to be doing any of this sort of stuff but i mean at one stage i had him um, assassinating a i had him assassinating a um street singer who was singing hallelujah he was gonna be like a sniper he was gonna have like a, a spud gun rather than a proper gun but it was going to be a Pat Inglesby you never saw before. I didn't do that. There were many things like that. And I'm sure he wouldn't have liked it. But um, yeah, but anyway, by the time we got to the editing, it was going to be sort of the way it's turned out, you know, um, let the poems and, and, and his life, you know, be the story, be the narrative thread. And there's a purity to that, which I think is is suitable for the, for the subject matter. If you had unlimited time and resources, is there other sections you would have liked to cover? Is or are you sort of happy with the the way that it's there? Do you know, like sometimes you do have to a, a project sure. never finished, it's abandoned. Yeah, I, I no, I don't, I don't think so. The only thing I would, the only thing I'd say is that I've got so much recordings of him talking and reciting his poems. That there could be another project, and I don't, I, I don't think it'd be a film. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's a radio program. Maybe, well, maybe it's just some audio. Maybe I don't it's know. real art with the Arts Council. Well, you know what? We 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 were shortlisted for real art really early on, and I flew in from from London to to do the interview, and they didn't go for us. That was in two thousand and I can't remember when it was, but so we tried it, and they didn't go for it. Um, but you know, but yes, I mean, there is, there is another, I mean, there's, 
this film could be another film, could be many, like many films, there could be many films out of them, right? And it's how they turn out, how they, how you end up doing it in, in the time you've got and, and the, the headspace you're in. But there's definitely so much material that's just, you know, a bit like the P.G. Harvey thing as well. I've, I've got so much material from the Somerset House sessions. I did five weeks of shooting. Um, and that's another one of those projects, you know, the one, one day perhaps, you know, but th that's my, my only thing that there are poems I had to leave out. Um, I think in terms of his story, I'm very happy with the way that's, that's, you know, he tells it very well. I think we've done okay with the, with the, you know, with the poems and um, the material we used. No, I'm, I'm happy with that actually. You know, if, if it's about his life, then I'm happy with that. If I was taking another angle, um, you know, we had, it's very interesting. We had an installation excerpts from the film in the Museum of Literature Ireland, who are friends of ours, because they 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 published this book. You, I don't know if you've seen it. It's um, in Dublin. They really tell you things. It's a weird, weird thing. You know. Anyway, it's, um, uh, you know, that's a lovely book of of um, an editor of all his collections in one book. You know, very very selected, highly selected by Vivian, his, his great friend, and um, so. In, in Museum of Literature Ireland, they had this 25-minute video. And that was kind of without any interviews. And that worked really well, because like, I could imagine a film, which was actually going to be, the initial film was going to be him just reciting poems and then other stuff happening. It turned into much more, more about his life because he allowed us to do that. And then I that meant that I could go and find the people that really knew him, that had real meaning for him, and, and they had a great close connection with him. At different stages of his life and and so that became another film you know and did you so i presume a lot of this you were doing with like you're off your own back and then you'd bring it to screen ireland they were supporting we, in the end yeah what happened was initially after we got turned down by real ireland real ireland or real real art real art sorry art real council ireland. one yeah <laughs> that's a postcard company isn't it no um real art yeah uh, when we got turned out by them, I think yeah, then we we approached Screen Ireland, and I'd got money for the PJ Harvey from Screen Screen Ireland. Did had a great sort of relationship with them from that, and they gave us and it immediately gave us development money. Um, so you know that was where I was able to go and start recording. And and when I was recording him doing the um, the poems, as he was telling the stories, I started filming because you know, and he saw I was filming. So you know, so that that was actually a great start, and then. We went back to them and they gave us more money and uh, we were able to finish the film. Yeah. So, um, and it's it's such a, it's again, it's a beautiful love letter to the arts, to to Pat himself, to to, to Dublin. Um, and, and then I, but I also think it, it does look at the darker themes around it, which is, which is enjoyable. Like it, it, it's not just this, like, everything is beautiful. Aren't you amazing thing, which, which makes it oh, much. God, brighter. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely not. I mean, we had to fight. We had to fight to 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 legally, you know, to, to keep certain things in. And it was like, well, you know, if you don't show that, then you really are just a, a tourist agency. Um, you know, you've got to show. You've got to show what 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 everyone in Dublin knows. What every what every tourist that comes to the centre of Dublin sees is going on in the streets because it's going on in the streets all the time. You know, so that had to be there, and it's so much so much part of what Pat is looking at and what Pat documents and it's part of Dublin. So it had to be there. And I suppose a lot of it is a hangover from that intergenerational trauma. Like it's not, it's not in a vacuum and it does speak to both Pat's life and the themes in his work as well, which are, which are very important because again, like it isn't, 
all roses and it has come from a very difficult place. Yes. And, and you know, we'll probably look back upon these times in 20 years time and, and maybe have reflections that are not, you know, as, as marvellous as people are saying it is. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, look at the housing situation. There's lots of things we can always criticise and shout about. You know, it's all, they're always there. They're always there. I mean, even with a, with a strong press, you're going to get corruption and, you know, skullduggery going on. You know that. And that, that blind bias where people are like, oh, and they, they have that point of view. And it's it's just the kind of mass point of view, which is why Pat is so good, because he's just this. I don't like he kind of calls it like it is, which is brave because Ireland is. Yeah, so small. I think exactly. sometimes people like that will kind of go, oh, I don't want to call them out because that's where the money comes from. Or, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be able to he's sell got a great poem, actually. He's got a great poem. He's got a great poem. It's like two lines. Um, Grafton Street. Um, what I what RT thinks is Ireland, and I think what he means is like we'll go on the street, we'll talk to ordinary people, and that's that really gets Pat's goat. What is, what what is an ordinary person? Who's an ordinary person? The person who's saying that doesn't think they're ordinary, you know. And the journalist who's sort of going out to meet these ordinary people, they're they're not ordinary either. Um, so I think he was referring to like the thing of the Vox Pop. You go out in the street in Grafton Street because it happens to be handy and there's a nice coffee bar there. So we can go in there, have a cup of coffee, do our little bit of, bit, bit of a, a sound thing. And so that's so wonderful, that two lines, you know, and that just speaks so, so um, eloquently of, you know, mainstream television. So um, where can we see the film? And are you doing any Q&As? Yeah, I did one. I did one. Uh, we had a screening, special screening at the Lighthouse on the 27th. That went really well. Pat actually turned up, which was fantastic. Um, we did a, we did a Q&A with Sinead Leeson and that went really well. Um, it, it starts on the November the 4th. It plays in the IFI, it plays in the Lighthouse, a couple of other cinemas in Dublin. It's playing in Galway, I know. Um, I guess we're just seeing how it goes and, and perhaps it'll it'll spread further. I'd love to see it in Cork and other places. Um, maybe it'll do a tour of the art centres at some stage as well. Um, beyond that, we'll see. I, I think you know we, we've got we've got film festivals in our sights. Um, it would be great to get this out internationally. I mean, I made, made the film very much thinking that, of course, it has to be unique and 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 authentic for a Dubliner and for an Irish person to see it. Um, but it's got to translate, uh, you know, to, to people that don't know Ireland. Um, because I think his poetry is so universal. And um, and so I'm hoping that it gets um, some kind of distribution and, and um, you know, some kind of recognition outside, outside Ireland. So thank you so much. It was a beautiful documentary. Thanks so much. All the best.